the chasm between the promises of artificial intelligence or AI and the reality of what AI can accomplish is closing faster than ever. Whether it's creating uncanny images, writing poetry, providing better information in a chatbot, writing its own code, or creating original video from text prompts, the output of AI is increasingly disrupting long-established domains that were once only relegated to humans. This week, I'm talking with Boris Sergel, the regional head of data at Andaba. He has spent over a decade in the AI and machine learning space, and together we discuss the attention-gathering abilities of AI, use cases for AI and machine learning in business, the risks that AI technology poses to society, balancing centralized and decentralized AI systems, the challenge of overcoming bad or a lack of data, and how AI could change the attention economy. Let's get to it. Welcome to Next in Q, the podcast for contact center and customer experience professionals. Next in Q is brought to you by Happy Two Vision. Eliminate blind spots and see right through every conversation with Happy Two Vision. Learn more at ajppitu.com. Now, here's your host, Rob Dwyer. Hey, welcome to another episode of Next in Q. Today, I am joined by Boris Zergel. Welcome, Boris. How are you? Hi, Rob. Thanks, thanks for inviting me. I'm I'm great. I am glad to, to hear it. Here. Today we are going to have what I think is going to be a really interesting and exciting conversation about the future of AI. But before we get into that, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into the the field that you're in and kind of what you are doing today. Okay, so um, maybe I'll start first with what I'm doing today. So I'm a regional head of data at Endava. So it is a quite large international company um, helping our clients with uh, uh, digital transformation, basically everything from consulting to implementation. Uh, it was close to 12,000 employees now, mostly engineers. And while I'm involved, with uh, everything data, right? So from data engineering to machine learning, um, kind of my my uh, my background and primary interest is in more towards the AI. So, um, and uh, I've joined Endava almost three years ago. And prior to that, uh, I was uh, working at a smaller consultancy, a more startup, uh, let's call it. Uh, and uh, for nine years, almost, yeah. I was actually trying to to help companies uh, start to use data science, machine learning. Um, and since this was a, a while ago, uh, it proved to be quite an interesting challenge. And <laughs> I've, uh, I've learned a lot about, you know, what the, the technology promises, but also then what is the actual reality when it comes to, to it being used or not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but initially my background was... Uh, uh, 
quite different in some ways. Uh, I uh, I have a background in theoretical mathematics, although um, today I wouldn't consider myself a mathematician anymore uh, since this was so long ago. Um, but some things that I've learned become useful as well from time to time. Very, very fascinating. And uh, something that you said that I certainly want to talk more about today is uh, that chasm between the the promise of AI and kind of where we stand today, what the reality is today. Um, there was actually, uh, and certainly we're recording this a little bit in advance of, of when this will air, but uh, I did see just this morning that uh, Dolly is now available in a public beta. So they've, they've published their API. Uh, and you Indeed. and I talked a little bit about that uh, when we when we first chatted about you coming on to the podcast. So for those that aren't familiar with what Dolly is, can you give us some insight into that? I think a lot of people know, but probably not everyone. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so Dali is a, a, a model that is capable of generating images from text. So basically, uh, you can write uh, a description of what you would like to see in an image. And then the neural net that is running in the background is able to conjure up an image that more or less closely matches that, that description. And, um, you know, it's I think it's good to to also give a bit of a broader picture. So now in, in I'm seeing in Silicon Valley especially there is a term um, general um, generative AI that is becoming very popular. And so you know Dali is just one of the models that uh, that are part of this uh, emerging sub subfield. Mm. But it didn't start with the images, right? It's just that at this point in time, maybe the images are what is most surprising to us, what is bringing uh, both uh, you know fear and joy to different <laughs> types of people and uh, companies as well. Um, but uh, you know the generative modeling in some way make the biggest breakthrough in language. So um, it uh, happened a few years ago. Uh, possibly the biggest event was uh, the arrival of the, uh, the model GPT-3, by also by OpenAI. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, now it, it, it has become, I guess, a quite, quite well known, or at least something that is commonly mentioned, but nevertheless. So um, to just give a brief uh, recap how that one works, um, it's uh, a model where basically it gets its input, uh, let's call it context, or you know the term is also a prompt. Um, and then the model is able to continue that, uh, that text, that context that it received. So it's able to generate text. Um, but the surprising thing is that, you know, uh, uh, this context can be extremely different. So you know, it can contain questions, and if there are questions, the model will do its best to 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 answer it. Uh, if there are tasks described in the text, it will in the initial text it will try to to solve them, and so and so on. Um, and um, yeah, it's uh, by now it it is starting to be quite widely used, I think, 
um, in, in, in for many different things. Um, but yeah, that's especially good at things like summarizing text, um, translating it from one style to another, but also, you know, some surprising things like it can come up with, with poetry that's sometimes quite amusing. Um, it can uh, it can take up uh, roles of, of different writers and writing their style and, 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 and so on. Um, but it can also help to, to develop ideas. And this is maybe something that's not talked about enough. So for example, you might have an idea how to do something or a product, and then you might ask the model to provide a critique of what you are trying to do. And it's kind of good at that. It, it, can, it can come up with questions that you realize you would have to answer if you want to make that idea a reality. And also, you know, after you get the critique, you could also ask it to help you answer that critique, right? <laughs> it, can be a, it can be a tool to, to help you think, maybe. That, that would be a, a good way of putting it. Um, but, you know, we are, this is language. It's um, images. But, uh, you know, we have, we have clearly not reached the limit for it. And uh, the pathway, at least for some of the other modalities is, is uh, already, uh, you know, can, it, can, it can be seen in which direction it will go. And of course, the, the next frontier is video. So we are already seeing examples of um, text to video models. So, you know, where you get a, currently a, maybe a few second or seconds or uh, a few tens of seconds long videos based on the description. But, uh, Exactly like we saw with images, this will scale. And uh, I expect quite soon we will have, you know, videos that are tens of minutes and <laughs> and maybe hours long, simply being generated from, from the description in text, what that video should contain. Yeah, it seems to me that there is a fascination right now with some of the more artistic abilities of AI right now in the in the general public, right? We see uh, lots of social media sharing of of uh, both images from Dolly and other similar models that uh, can create images from text. You can, uh, I know, Open API has a model that can create music from a similar prompt. Uh, certainly you're talking about video. But what is AI really being used for in the business world? Because I, I think these capture a lot of uh, the wider imagination, but that's not really what where yeah. AI is really being deployed today, yeah. is it? Yeah, so... so you know, to answer this question, we, we need to step a bit also in the past, right? Because uh, however we, we we look at it, the fact is that, you know, what is be, being used in, in most of businesses today is always a reflection of things that were developed some time ago, right? Um, and the things that we hear are most talked about uh, usually are the ones that will follow in the, in the months or years to come. Um, so uh, there's a big difference between these generative models that we discussed 
and what machine learning used to be. So um, machine learning or as part of maybe data science was in most companies it is used uh, on structured data. So basically data that you would find in databases, data warehouses. And um, in most cases, it is used to uh, create insights, right? It's not usually or often part of some you know, automated autonomous process that continually learns and so on, right? So it's uh, a, a lot of it gets to pattern matching and most of it is done on data that the companies have as their own, right? So this is from where the term uh, data is the new oil comes from. So companies realized, okay, this data is valuable. Let's, uh, let's do something with it. Let's gather more of it, right? Uh, so kind of like... Uh, opening like new oil rigs or something. Um, but then, you know, the implementation of these models, and oh, maybe I should just give a few examples, right? So where, where it is used, that, that, that would be helpful, I guess. So it's like cases like, for example, pr predicting uh, whether a customer would leave, um, maybe predicting uh, um, sentiment in their responses uh, it can be used to forecast sales uh, it can be maybe you know used to classify um, service tickets or you know it can be used to uh, prioritize uh, calls in call, call centers and all kinds of applications like that right this is uh, um, quite common um, and uh, yeah, so uh, of course there are some companies using it in a in a different way, and through this, uh, it's everyone basically using it, right? Of course, there's machine learning behind Google search and 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 similar services and all the translations that we are now seeing that are easier and easier to to get and use and see. Um, but you know, to return back to the systems on structured data, so the problem with these systems often is that um, first of all it's really, really hard to get good quality data. It's, uh, it's always harder than people who, who set on this journey expect that it will be, right? And, uh, you know, uh, but it's also a question of use cases. So I find that some of these use cases are really used to, uh, to optimize the existing business, right? So it might be, let's try and, and lower the costs a bit or let's increase our revenue a bit. And of course, you know, the business will see a profit. Maybe the, even if the revenue increases a tiny bit, it might, the profit might increase a bit more. Um, but rarely did this, uh, uh, you know, use cases lead into, into total transformation of the business model. I, mean, I don't, there are of course some cases where it did, but I'm speaking more from a perspective of a, let's say, uh, more, general business right um and also there were a lot of people involved right and uh, people that had to have a very specific expertise and um especially in the in the more early times uh, you know people doing data science were usually uh, a lot of them came, came from academia uh, maybe you know they were, they had a phd in physics and since there was no you know the the, the ecosystem of tools was simply not there or was quite hard to use they had to build a lot of a lot of the stuff you know bottom up right uh, whether algorithms or or uh, you know software and so on um, 
So where is the difference now with these generative models? So uh, surprisingly, a lot of the generative models don't really require huge amounts of internal data. So these models have been trained or better to call it pre-trained on an enormous amount of data that is to a certain extent uh, available, it's public, right? Uh, when it comes to language, these models are trained on you know, a lot of data that is scraped from the from the internet, or uh, you know, we might have um, archives of news and and, and things like that. Um, or again, you know, the same thing when it comes to images. And uh, you know, since these models have gotten so large and have been trained on such diverse data, they they have gotten the ability to to generalize to a certain extent across different problems. So when you have a specific problem at hand, you don't now need to, to totally retrain this model. You can simply use it uh, to solve this specific task, right? So um, I, I mentioned a thing like, you know, the sentiment detection, right, in, in, in text. So how, you know, what you used to do was that you would take maybe some internal uh, messages and then you needed to annotate them to, to uh, manually, right, to, to detect the sentiment and you need to have quite a lot of data and then you need to train the models on this specific data to varying results, right? Maybe, you know, your annotators were, were not very good or maybe they didn't have uh, good instruction how to do that, right? So there's a big diversity of, of opinion among them on the sentiment side and so on. Um, but now with these models, kind of you get this type of functionality out of the box, right? You, you just write the instruction, um, what you would like the model to do, maybe provide a few examples, right? But not too many. And, and we're talking more like, you know, one to three examples rather than a hundred thousand, right? And uh, often it, in many of these cases, it works very well out of the box. Um, and, you know, this has a big influence now to who is able to use these models. So, uh, of course, machine learning engineers who, who work on the infrastructure that is capable of training these models and who are pushing the limits of the capabilities of these models uh, are still, you know, deep experts in a, in a certain area. However, after the models are trained to simply use them, um, you know, they are accessible to, to almost everyone. Yeah, I think that is the thing that has really changed just in the last few years is the accessibility and the ability for businesses to integrate these models for specific business purposes on their own, as opposed to having to build everything from scratch, because there are so many tools out there now that the infrastructure is there. You just need to build something on top of it to create a, a completely new product. Yes, um, and maybe you know there is a good analogy to um, to you know to something that we we are more used to to thinking about, right? So, for example, uh, when you onboard a new employee, right, to, us, to to show them around how to do a certain task. In, in, in some ways, of course, you are seeking someone who, who, who has existing knowledge, right? 
they didn't start to learn everything from scratch like mm-hmm. machine machine learning models used to do right you just take their existing knowledge and you know show them around right <laughs> and uh, you know it's it's kind of similar with this this new generative models right you 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 rarely need to train them from scratch yeah uh, so we're seeing lots of really cool interesting things happening in the world of ai businesses are are and everyday people whether they know it or not are taking advantage of ai in a variety of ways but i don't know about you when i grew up you know i watched war games i watched the terminator i read isaac asimov um you know i i I can only think of, uh, I think, one movie that wasn't completely dystopian when I think of kind of what the the uh, science fiction idea of AI was. Um, you know, how far away or how worried should we be that, you know, uh, HAL 9000 isn't going to start telling us what we can and can't do. <laughs> yeah, so, so you, you, you know, there is a, quite a bit of a diversity of opinion here when it comes to the dangers uh, of, of AI systems. So I would say that there is a big division between the people who are concerned about the risks that the technology poses as it is today in its current form, right? So a, a common uh, argument that you will find here, for example, is everything related to the bias that these systems introduce, right? Because uh, of course, if you train a language model, for example, on the entire internet, it will obviously introduce a lot of bias into mm-hmm. it, right? It's, yeah. uh, and and then it's uh, it's quite a challenge to try to overcome this. And, and also in some cases, there's a debate right to 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 what extent right what are all the all the areas where you would need to debias and where you know you might actually not want that right for for various reasons but still you know there's a lot of people worried about that um on the other hand you have people who um are worried about the risks that are yet to come right so what is what is around the corner where you maybe today it's not a problem but we can see a pathway to how it could become, right? Um, so maybe a few, a few like words about that. So the the argument usually posed is such that um, so we are we are slowly seeing for all kinds of different tasks where we measure also the human performance on them. Uh, for many of these tasks, the models have reached, you know performance that is comparable to humans on these tasks. And we're also seeing in some cases, these models overshoot human performance, like we saw with the well-known case of AlphaGo. Um, and then the question always remains, right? So how, how further on can this go? And uh, you know, if at some point we have some sort of digital entities that are capable to surpass humans in most of the tasks, maybe not all of them, but most of them. Uh, what what does that uh, that mean, right? Can we assure that these models will will still function to our benefit? 
I mean, because it's fair to say that if you look at the present tense, I mean, the present, we are not, uh, you know, we are seeing many cases where these models maybe do not really serve <laughs> the betterment of humanity as a whole, right? Without <laughs> having to use a lot of imagination here or anything like that. So, um, and uh, the 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 interesting thing here is, you know, I mentioned like a bit longer term and shorter term risks. The question is how long is this long term? Uh, so we know that we had uh, quite a few periods of AI winters. Uh, uh, so basically periods where there was certain exuberance and ex high expectations of capabilities that then were followed by long periods of, you know, disappointment or maybe even disinterest. Um, I do have a feeling that now we are a bit on a, on a different, in a different situation and we have been for the last few years. So that there is uh, um, uh, too much uh, uh, pessimism. Uh, when it comes to establishing or predicting where the capabilities of AI systems will be in a month, in a year, in five years. And uh, um, so, uh, you know, when you're looking at some of the benchmarks that are used to measure the capability of such models, especially in the in the uh, last few months, I, I, I saw quite a few examples, for example, models reaching performance today that was expected to only be reached in, I don't know, 2024 or, or something like that. And, you know, these predictions were not made by random random people. They were actually made by people who have quite a lot of knowledge about the development of these systems. Um, and on the other hand, uh, of course, there are some cases, for example, with self-driving cars, that it's taking longer than uh, it was expected, maybe at some point. And I would, I feel that most of the attention of the general public is still on those cases, right? Because mm -hmm. the, the cars, they are so familiar to us. And if we don't see self-driving cars on the road, the general impression quickly becomes, okay, AI is moving, you know, rather slowly. Uh, but for all of these cases that are a bit less tangible, right? Uh, we are seeing really extremely rapid, rapid progress now. So personally, I, I'm, I am a bit worried you know, and I don't think that this long term is really so long. Yeah, I mean, I think there is an element of unpredictability always with with the development of new technology. Uh, I think what concerns me more than a lot of technologies that are dangerous before is the availability of it. Right. I mean, uh, you're working in that field. Um, but that's right. Anybody can with a, a very small amount of knowledge can get in and use these models and use them for whatever comes to mind. Right. So when you think about uh, something that's very simple, like Dolly, right, an image generator, now anyone can just say, hey, I want to see a picture that looks like this. And that image can be generated using AI and that barrier to entry is very low. And I don't know that we've seen that necessarily in the past. I mean, I, in some ways we, we have, right? Especially when it comes to really kind of, a, you know, general purpose technologies, right? I mean, you know, a personal computer uh, or internet, 
was an example of such a thing or mobile telephones. So something that, you know, at some point in time started to be used by everyone. Uh, although, you know, by itself, this is extremely powerful technologies. Um, and, you know, currently when it comes to AI, it's, it's, it's a, a kind of, uh, I feel like it's a bit of a crossroads, right? So first of all, we, we were in this period where we needed like enormous computational resources to, to, to train these models. And we still need them, right? I mean, you know, it's actually the uh, requirements are keep increasing, but also until now our capacity to train them, or at least the capacity of huge companies to train them has also increased. However, um, there are twists and turns here. And one such twist was um, the open sourcing of the model stable diffusion, um, which is basically a, a uh, let's call it a competitive model to DALI um, that was uh, released and open sourced by uh, the, the company Stability AI. Um, and, uh, you know, it is a model that that uh, can be run on, on uh, consumer graphic cards, right? And uh, I mean, not maybe the, the, the lower end ones, but still. Uh, and there's all sorts of uh, ways how to use it, you know, also uh, over the internet. Um, and so now the question is, right, what is the balance here between decentralized AI systems, which basically, you know, companies close them off and then have, release an API just that you need to use to communicate with it, to use it. And, and this decentralized open source systems that really anyone can run and use. Um, so, uh, and also when it comes to risks, of course, if everyone has something, you know, it's a, if they have a, a, a bad intention, of course, they can maybe use these technologies to, to, to realize that intention. Uh, on the other hand, if you just have a few large, let's say, corporations who have access to this technology, and then maybe a single bad actor is somehow able to also um, uh, get access to it, right? There is uh, it's the worst balance because hopefully the vast majority of the people have good intentions and good ideas of how to use this technology, right? So overall, if you have just a few individuals or a very small percentage of them who are trying to use the same technology for something bad, you know, it's uh, maybe uh, similar to 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 how we use technology in general today, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's uh, move away from the potential doomsday of AI and talk about something that you mentioned earlier uh, intrigued me. And, and that was talking about uh, how often we have bad data uh, when, when we're talking about company data, whether that's data on customers or uh, data on suppliers or whatever data that, that a company is using. Um, but now we have models that need or, or rely less on data. What applications are you seeing today or do you envision in the future from a business perspective where potentially I'll be able to not have as much reliance on my, my internal data, which may not be all that reliable and still have really good outcomes yeah so let's uh let's start with the one application that's quite common right so um, recommendation engines 
right? A lot of businesses use that, especially online. Um, and, uh, you know, the way most recommendation systems work is they try to, you know, collect the breadcrumbs that each customer is leaving online, right? And, and, and use these bread, breadcrumbs for, for guesswork. What could this customer be interested in? Right? And I'm, I'm, I'm using this uh, term breadcrumbs specifically because, you know, overall, of course, these systems are useful and their business value has been proven time, time and time again. Um, however, you, you, you know, they are very often off the mark, right? And everyone has seen that, right? They're, they're not able to, you know, you still have this, you, you are searching for an item, you buy it, and then for the next week or so, you still get, you know, similar <laughs> items recommended. And, you know, it still happens. And it's, uh, it's quite amazing, actually, right? And, you, you, you know, to have an internal recommendation system that works well, you really need a lot of data. I mean, it's it's really hard to to you know there's a cold start issue you know while you are a small uh, business how to you know even start using recommendation systems, um, but you know this would all change right if uh, uh, if you could simply ask the customer right what are they looking for and if you have a way you know how to match their reply you know with the uh, with uh, your products, right? I saw a really nice example of that recently. Um, there's this prototype application. It's uh, basically a search engine for, for, for clothing, right? Where you can write any term, um, you know, you might be interested in, you know, you might feel in a certain mood or you, you might be inspired by some movie. You just write this in and then the this, this semantic search is, is actually matching you with with outfits that are a good match for whatever you enter there. So, you know, in this way, um, it's a totally different experience. You don't need to really be so concerned with those breadcrumbs and, you know, try to, to, um, to gather as much data as you can so you could be better at guessing. So this is, this is one thing that I'm sure will change a lot. So how do we search? How do we find information um and also i mean i didn't especially mention before right when i was talking about gpt3 but all these models can be used for dialogue right so you could you can actually you know talk with them and and they are much much more uh you know uh, much better at conversation than any chatbots have been in the past because again you know how did the chatbots of old operate Basically, again, it was breadcrumbs. So you you said something, and then you know some models in the back end were trying to you know match what is the intent of this customer, and they had maybe like a list of I don't know fifteen intents, and they seemed to try to match that reply to that intent, and then you know move the customer to the next step, and we saw that this really in most cases didn't work well. But these models now they are they are quite different. I mean, you know, uh, you could you could you can talk with them about a variety of topics, and um, and uh, uh, you know they are not so you know they will of course you can ask them to detect a certain intent, but you know you could also build a conversation, an actual conversation with the with the customer, right? Which I don't think 
you were able to do on online, except by you know somehow uh, involving human operators, right? Yeah, yeah. I actually uh, was just recently talking with Jim Rowe about chatbots and and what conversational AI has brought to that world, and it really is changing what what the experience is with a chatbot. Because to your point, not long ago. And I've mentioned this to him, like everybody hates chatbots, but that's because exactly what you said, right? That the chatbot was designed with such limitations and wasn't able to, to learn. And that really is what defines AI is that it, it can learn, it can adapt and it, and it can change as it gathers more data and uh, those conversational AI tools are getting better and better. And, and you see this even in, in people's homes, not just the chatbots, right? But those, uh, those assistants that we might use to do things in our home, uh, those are using some of those same models to listen and respond and uh, accomplish things that uh, before, you know, we had to get up and walk across the room to to do or had to hop online to do. Yeah, and, you know, and, uh, and there's another aspect, of course, that's uh, that's related to search. And it's, uh, it's about the attention economy, as we call it, right? There are so many services now that really depend on your attention of you spending time on that platform or service. And, uh, you know, when it comes to search, this does introduce a certain strange incentive, right? The company is not so incentivized anymore for you to really extremely quickly find what you're looking for and go away. Right? Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, for example, how the search currently works, right? You, you know, enter something that you're interested in and then you get a list of results. But then it's upon you to, you know, check those results and interpret them and, uh, you know, maybe compare to see, you know, basically a search engine just introduces you to a lot more work. <laughs> if, you are, <laughs> if you are trying to actually learn something or find out something. Um, and now imagine how this changes if between you and certain information source, you have this entity, this digital entity, language model, whatever it is, right? That is able to process some of that information before serving it to you. So I think this is something that will quite fundamentally perhaps change this, this notions of, of attention economy, uh, especially since there is a good chance, like I mentioned before, that these entities will be decentralized. They will be perhaps some open source uh, projects that will not be under control of any company uh, and you know that stand between you as a customer and 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 the company trying to sell you something uh, so then it does you know now it is often a battle uh, between you and some back-end ai system trying to sell you something but then it might actually be a battle between between those two ai systems right and um, that i think could be quite 
interesting. So maybe the the battles that we thought were going to be between AI and humans will just be between AI and AI fighting for the attention of of us and our wallets. Yeah, I mean, I I was often thinking, I, and and maybe here I will diverge a bit towards the uh, the the scientific part, right? So one area where I feel uh, we will see really interesting use cases, of course, in science, right? Because um, you know the uh, I think that a large part of what we consider research today can be can be automated, right? So even though everyone would like to to you know present their idea as totally original and totally different, I I feel like the large part of the research is you know taking concepts from different areas, putting them together, and this in this way create something new. Um, and here, uh, you know this. Uh, agents or models, I think that they, they will be quite quite revolutionary. Yeah, that's really interesting. I uh, Certainly, it seems like AI has the potential to synthesize things much faster than we do. I mean, it certainly is, is proven that it can do a lot of things a lot faster uh, than humans can to this point. So, you know, I I titled this uh, episode uh, something about wh whether or not AI was was a, a bright future or, or doom and gloom, and and we've talked about that. Um, is there something out there that you see or or just really really excites you that we haven't talked about that um, you think is maybe just around the corner? Uh, yeah, so maybe I'll, I'll I mentioned two, two things, right? One that is positive and one that is worrying to keep the balance, right? Um, so, okay, the first one is the ability of these uh, AI systems to use tools. So what do I mean by that, right? So we are talking about language models. And for language models, they have some well-known deficiencies. Uh, some of them are quite surprising, actually. They are, they are usually not really good at arithmetic. For example, hmm. um, imagine this like, you know, but people are mostly aren't uh, also aren't very good at it. If, if you ask someone to multiply the two, uh, you know, six figure numbers, you know, probably it will take them a while. Um, and if they try to do it in their head only, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't get good results. Right. <laughs> and um, but how, how do we people solve that, right? You, you, you take the calculator or, you know, run an app on your phone or computer and, and do the calculation. <laughs> and uh, now it has been discovered uh, that, you know, these language models often can do the same thing, right? So uh, they can overcome some of their deficiencies by, by using tools or even mm -hmm. writing code that solves certain problems. Um, and, you know, this is something that will open up a whole new area of um, uh, opportunities and things that these models can do. So we will start possibly seeing a lot more cases where, you know, this models really become a kind of a interface. I've mentioned before, right? Between, you know, when it comes to, you know, someone's trying to sell you something, but imagine now the other way around let's say that you want to, to do something with your computer. And now currently you still have to do most 
most of the things manually. You know, you keep entering, you know, things into various windows and move the mouse and so on. And a lot of it is very repetitive. And to be honest, it, it mostly takes patience rather than intelligence. Um, and now imagine that, you know, you can use these models to, uh, you know, to, to, to do these things automatically, really to understand your instruction, then for them to connect with various APIs and then, you know, do the, do the, these actions for you. So this is, this is one, one area that I find particularly uh, interesting at the moment. Now, uh, like I promised, the, the worrying part, right? <laughs> it, uh, so, um, you know, when it comes to content generation, let's, let's simply talk about the content, right? Because it can encompass all kinds of things. So currently, uh, you know, you had a limited to a certain extent amount of content, right? Let's say that you're talking about uh, ads, right? You might have a few different ones and then you, again, you use those breadcrumbs <laughs> like before and try to simply push these ads to the groups that you felt, you know, might be, you know, they might have the biggest effect on them. Um, or, or, or for example, let's take movies, right? So studios invest a lot of money in creating a limited number of movies, uh, tailor them a bit, you know, to their target audience and that's it, right? And while of course this content is compelling and it works, I mean, you know, there's a limited uh, match, right? Between maybe the interest of the individual and how well this content is able to capture their attention. Um, but now if, you, if everything is generated, right? And it is so easy to produce this content, of course, then it really opens up the field of optimizing this content to achieve something specifically uh, with a specific individual. And this is extremely risky, I find. So, I mean, even if we try to look at the positive side, oh, there will be all this amazing content, right? That's extremely interesting to you. But if this means that you will spend all your time now absorbing this content, uh, you know, this by itself is worrying, but if you imagine that there is an actor uh, that has a certain motivation and wants you to, you know, to achieve a certain effect on you to their benefit and has now these tools at, at their disposal, this, this becomes quite worrying. And uh, I'm not sure, you know, how, how we will be able to solve this, but for sure, <laughs> I kind of don't really see the case now that there won't be, of course, companies and individuals who would like to pursue this path, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like we're seeing a little bit of that today when you just think about how information is, is curated and presented. Um, we see this in, in people's news feeds, uh, what kind of information gets presented to them and the the information that gets their attention uh, becomes then more popular as far as information that's being then presented to them, right? And so you end up um, getting things that reinforce kind of what you want to hear presented uh, an, to an, you. An echo chamber, right? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, definitely concerning, and I think something that we all have to really pay attention to is as we're the consumers of the content and thinking about uh, how that's coming to us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Boris, this has been uh, a really fascinating conversation. I have learned a lot, 
and uh, certainly you've uh, you've made me excited and maybe a little bit worried about our future. Uh, but that was, uh, I think, uh, a large part of the intent. So thank you so much for, for joining Next in Q and sharing your insights with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Rob, for inviting me. And uh, yeah, I do I do hope that we as a, as a humanity somehow manage to make the best out of everything that's in store for us when it comes to AI. Next in Q is brought to you by Happy To and is produced by me, Rob Dwyer. If you enjoy this podcast, please, by all means, subscribe and or rate this podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. But more importantly, please tell just one person about this podcast. Word of mouth is the best way for people to discover new content. As always, thanks for listening.